Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. This is a podcast from Minute Media. He struck him out! Five Met pitchers combined for the second no-hitter in New York Mets history. Edwin Diaz puts on the finishing touches, striking out the side in the ninth inning, and the Mets celebrate their second ever no-hitter, started by Tyler McGill, finished by Edwin Diaz, as the Mets no-hit the Phillies. What point as a group was there any discussion? Did you guys start to realize what was happening and, and you know, maybe the pressure starts to build in the, in the bullpen? So uh, I came in, I saw Sugar warming up. I was in the gym in the, in the ninth, and I looked up and saw zero. I said, Drew, don't say nothing, but look, we need to get outside. <laughs> I, I didn't so it was the ninth inning, yeah. yeah. I didn't know until the eighth. I was doing my arm care, and I wasn't even looking at the TV, but they had the audio on in the training room, and I heard Gary say, you know, something about history, and then I looked at the zero, and uh, I was like, Josh, is this, does that happen? He's like, yeah, you had no idea. I was like, we didn't even, nobody knew in the bullpen, not a single person. So. Sure, did you know? Yes, I knew. <laughs> I like to watch the scoreboard every time because I want to know who I'm facing, so. I see the three zero, so I stay quiet and start warming up. And when I came to the game, James told me, "Hey, we don't use in the pitch come today because it's gonna be loud." So okay, that's fine. Let's go with the signs and then start focusing the game and start pitching. Tyler, did you know? I didn't know till late. <coughs> yeah, I mean, in the moment you don't really pay attention to it, but obviously, look deeper into the game. Yeah, you start to look at the scoreboard. You see. <laughs> It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Saturday morning, April the 30th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you can show an Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. 
If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Now, I just came to you just a couple of days ago after the Mets completed a very solid business trip, a trip that ended with a Donnybrook in St. Louis. We talked about the team's character and the development of the 2022 Mets team. And here we are after a day off, first game of the homestand, cold night out of City Field, truly still feeling more like football weather than it is baseball weather. And another event happens that compelled me to come to you with this short on this Saturday morning. Now, here's what I'll start. You know what the event is. You heard the clips coming in. And I have not had a chance to hear anybody else or any pundits on radio or podcasts give their take. So maybe this is the first take you have. I know that our good friend Evan Roberts over at WFAN had somewhat of a negative take, and I didn't hear it, about last night's festivities and maybe the reaction to it after. But one of the things about sports, and specifically baseball, that I always feel is that regardless of the season and where your team is in the season, you have a day-in and day-out relationship with that team. Even if, maybe I'm talking about the hardcore fans, but even if you're not someone who lives and dies with every pitch, these players, this, these teams, when you're a fan of them, are from, if you watch spring training, right after Valentine's Day, they are part of your life, if you watch spring training, all the way, depending on how far they go in the postseason, to Halloween. I mean, think about it. Maybe even if you end the season October 6th, when you get eliminated the last day of the regular season, you're about six weeks away from Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, think about that. You go through a ton of seasons. A ton of things happen in your life that go on. It is a long journey. And even when you lose 100 games, there's going to be many lowlights, but there's always something fun. And as you build up, that fandom over years, there are going to be connections to ball games and events that maybe make you remember a special time in your life or maybe somewhere where you're at or something that's going on with your family or what have you. And I think when there's a special moment, even if it's in a vacuum, not the Hall of Fame. I mean, I don't know if last night's game with the combined no-hitter, because there's been other combined no-hitters. It's not like they're all going to go to the Hall of Fame and one day you're going to go to Cooperstown and you're going to sit there like you see with the Mets' first no-hitter with Johan Santana, some artifacts, or at some point there were artifacts, last time I went, it was a while ago, of the Santana no-hitter. Even though you're not going to see that, it's going to be special for you. And that's what being a fan of a team is about. Yeah, there's the old saying, winning or misery. You know I love Pat Riley, and he had, that's one of his quotes. And certainly in the moment when you're competing and winning in anything, especially at a high level, there's winning and misery. And I think to a certain degree, even if you had a chance to talk to Pat himself right now, uh, that still exists because nobody after they get eliminated or lose a tough game is going to say, ah, no big deal, let's move on. You try. But I don't think that everything about the game is misery unless you win a championship. And in this town specifically, and in this sport specifically, 
and it's not so much now as much anyway, but after the 1990s and what the Yankees accomplished, which was so hard, as you get further and further and further away from it, you see how hard it was to do what the Yankees did from 1996 to 2001, and then the consistency of how they put teams together to compete and win and how hard it was to replicate that no matter who they brought in, no matter how good the players were and their Hall of Fame players they brought in after. And it never was the same because winning is hard. Competing and achieving something at this level is hard. This is the best of the best of the best. And you could argue there are guys in AAA right now that probably belong but aren't for a variety of reasons that you don't even want to get into. So there's even another level of the best of the best of the best that you're not even seeing here. These are the best, the best, the best, the best. That's why they're there. For example, I remember a game in 1992 that I was at where the Mets came back and Bobby Bonilla, I think it was a three-run homer in August against the Reds, beat Rob Dibble, and Rob Dibble walked off the mound ripping his shirt. It was like throwback to, to 1962 night, I remember. When you're talking about 30 years ago. And it was a fun night. I remember getting out there, being excited. Mets, the worst team money could buy, n- never going anywhere. It was a fun night because it was somewhat of a coming out for Bonilla, who had struggled. And it was the first time I was at a game where you had that dramatic walk-off against an elite closer. Maybe you remember Eric Valence's cycle in 2003, another no-man's-land season. Um, you certainly remember things from R.A. Dickey, the back-to-back near uh, no-hitters. He had the one-hitters. In 2012, a season that went down the tubes. But those moments are special. And I'll be honest, last night did not compare to Johan Santana's no-hitter. It was the same in the sense where, hey, listen, I'm watching the game on the iPad. I'm watching the game on silent, doing a couple things, watching Tyler McGill do his thing. I mean, give the Phillies credit. I mean, if that lineup is going to work counts every night like they do, uh, that's a tough lineup. I mean, look, I'm not the biggest Bryce Harper fan. I like Castellanos. Segura's always a pest. I mean, I think Hoskins stinks, but that's a whole other story. I love JT Real Muto. And even as you get down to the bottom part of the order, uh, Alec Baum, for all the issues uh, he has defensively, seems like he's got a lot of potential offensively. Didi DeGlorious has been a professional hitter. I mean, look, the Yankees in the media thought he was going to be the next Derek Jeter. Now he's batting, what, eighth or ninth? And Odubel, uh, Odubel Herrera is a pesky hitter. They've, even the guys who are not the elite uh, players, you know, Schwaber, you never want to hang, hang a fastball, I don't know, throw a fastball down the middle to him. He could hit it to the moon. Not a fan of his as well, but that's a whole other story. I mean, that's a really good lineup that's working counts, and the Mets had to make a number of big 3-2 pitches. So there's a lot of good that came out about how, how good maybe, even though the bullpen's been sp- spotty that maybe the Mets in big spots can make big pitches when it counts when there's no margin of error so it is impressive what they did now does it feel like the Santana no hitter but similar to the Santana no hitter I remember uh, hanging out with a friend that night and I was in the car listening to some of it I think I was in the car when the fair ball foul ball was called you're not really thinking about it and you kind of you know Checking things, going in and out with the MLB.com app. And and I don't think I got serious about that game and really focused in on it until the seventh inning. And that's when the tension built. Because for so many years, 
so many near no hitters. Guys like David Cohn and Doc Gooden. Trying to think. Pedro Martinez had, I think, a couple of near ones in 2005. I mean, anytime the Mets got close, and it was special, it was history. It is hard to be perfect. It's hard to be uh, near perfect or shut down an offense. I mean, these are professional hitters. You know, they're going to stick their their rear end out. They're going to get a hit. That's how hard it is to throw a no-hitter. I mean, think of even Tom Seaver never throwing a no-hitter as a Met. Goes over to Cincinnati to do it. It's hard. And then as it built up, seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning, you really, really, really started to feel that. And I'll be honest, when it happened, I celebrated like the Mets had just either won a, a pennant, a, a division series. And it, I don't think it's, you know, I, I was kind of young when the Mets won in 86, so I don't really count that as my World Series as a fan. I haven't had one, at, certainly doing this. Uh, and I don't really count one as me having as a fan. I think I was on the peripheral of that. Uh, I was more getting really just into it, and then 87, 88, 89 is when I started to become a, a hardcore fan. But you're young. You're 10, 11, 12. It's, it's a different experience. I mean, I'm more connected to the late 90s Mets, 99, 2000, 2001, and then, of course, so on and so forth. So I, I thought it was like kind of winning, especially with all the BS that had been going on. With Madoff and rebuilding, baseball purgatory. What's ironic is that that Mets team, I was looking back, was actually only game or two out of first place. That was early June. I still feel like that 2012 team, even to a certain degree, the 2011 team, if there had been some investment, might have been able to make some noise in a wild card scenario. But I digress. And Santana does the no-hitter. And even to this day, and this is where... I don't know if I want to blame analytics, but I certainly blame the media and I blame the mindset where we've, we're trying to focus on the process and the big picture and the winning or misery component. And, well, what's the big deal that it's a perfect game? What's the big deal that it's a no-hitter? And I don't, I'm not all about hurting pitchers, but I even go back to Kershaw from a couple of weeks ago. And, and the Dodgers have nothing to do. I have no emotion to Kershaw at all. Zero. But I'm not saying go out there and hurt your arm. He's certainly had his injury risks. But at whatever he was, 80 pitches after the seventh inning in a perfect game, adapt, go out, throw hittable pitches that they can make contact. And if it hits a glove, it hits a glove. And if it dumps in, you walk off. It's almost like, well, I have to pitch a certain way. I mean, it's not like the game was close. I think it was, what, a 7 nothing game? I got to go back and look. It's a one nothing game. It's different. But even then, go as far. Go. There is not a starting pitching in, pitcher in this world that should not be able to go 100 to 110 pitches. Even at a spring training, which still was only a week or two less, was still enough time. So I'm not criticizing them for pulling McGill out last night. I think he was kind of, I mean, the Phillies worked him. He might have been done. But then to go out there and diminish or not feel that maybe this wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as Santana. That I can tell you. I was pumped about Santana. I was on my the edge of my seat. Last night I was feeling it in the ninth inning, maybe even a little sooner, but I was more concerned about them winning the ball game. I mean, that's first and foremost. And that was probably what helped them because if you listened and you heard it coming in to Drew Smith and Edwin Diaz and Seth Lugo, uh, 
they were just looking to execute their pitches and win the ball game. You didn't want to – you walk a guy, all of a sudden, uh, you know, Jolie Rodriguez walks a guy. Now you got to get the double play because another guy gets on, blast ties it. And you want to get off. The first game of every series is important because it gives you that chance then to really have a high percentage guarantee that you'll win that series. And that's what this is all about. So I wasn't but, – but I will tell you in the ninth inning – uh, I was. Uh, not to the same as Santana, I was. And boy, was Diaz filthy. I mean, if, if, and I keep saying, if Diaz could come in and it almost was like he was focused, he was certainly, and he said it, aware of what was going on. And you saw a focused, on the money Edwin Diaz. Nasty, 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 nasty with that slider. Trusting his catcher. He talked about that. That's a big thing. I think James McCann is more important to this ball club than you guys think. And forget about the buck 90 batting average or what he does or doesn't do offensively and what he does to drive you nuts. He's important. If that's the kind of focus that you get in a game that really, if he blew it, it would stink and it would be a conversation. But it's not the end of the world. Uh, imagine what he could do when he's focused in a postseason situation. Because that's been ultimately the question that we all have, myself included. I love Edwin Diaz. I think he's filthy. I think he's elite. And I'll tell you what, you're not going to like hearing it. I don't know what Jared Kelnick's going to become, but if the Mets get to a World Series or win it with Edwin Diaz, forget about Cano and the Cano contract. It was worth it for Diaz. Because it's not easy to get guys to come into the ninth inning. Hey, I know you got the Craig Kimbrels out there. I'm not, you know, ever. There's a lot of kerosene on a fire in the ninth inning. Oh, anybody could close. Well, sure, the Mets could find a, a diamond in the rough in AAA, and and you know, Colin Holderman or whatever, you know, who they got down there. Maybe they'll become the next elite closer. But you have one that has nasty stuff, and I've seen enough nasty. I've seen enough bad breaks, and I've seen some meltdowns. But I've seen enough nasty. But the point, the point is, not everything has to be Babe Ruth, the Yankees, Lou Gehrig, the best of the best, you know, Hall of Fame Cooperstown level to feel good and special and to celebrate. This team is getting to know you know, they're building their fabric. I always and I, and I, I keep saying it, and I'm gonna say it again. Because I've watched this over the course of many, many seasons. It's not like I've been watching baseball five minutes here. There are many in the audience that are watching much, much longer than I have. And maybe you disagree. And if and if you do, let me know. Reach out to me. But those first 50 games is where the fabric of a team is, is to be built. And I'm not saying they need to hang out and like each other. But they've got to start to feel that momentum and that vibe that when they come to the park, they're all kind of putting in the work to do their role. And when you're successful and you have these moments together, it's just going to make that much easier. And anybody who comes into that environment, it's infectious. They're going to they're gonna be able to seamlessly integrate, even if they're there a week. That's why I made a big deal about Juan Lopez doing what he did. He's probably not going to be here much longer. But he did exactly what was necessary within the fabric of this team. So what I will don't want you guys to do is first to be upset that the Mets celebrated and enjoyed the moment. Baseball season, you should enjoy your successes. 
I don't think they reacted like they won the World Series. They, they reacted more than I expected. But that's their prerogative. They're here to have fun. They work hard. Yeah, they make a lot of money. It looks like they only work three to three to five, three and a half, four hours a night, but they don't. I mean, you heard them talking in the post game. They're out in the in the in the weight room doing their post, uh, their 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 post work. They weren't just hanging out, eating potato chips, watching a game, drinking a beer like you and I. Now, I think what helped is that. It's interesting that as you go forward in a game that's never going to let guys, for the most part, go past 100 pitches, nobody would have been able to go 159 pitches. Now, in the 80s, yeah. It was David Cohn out there, he would have been able to go 159 pitches until he gave up a hit. It would have been hard to see a guy with the way the Phillies lineup was working them as they got tired being able to execute the pitches that they needed to execute to get it done. So there's that advantage. But I think what the advantage of getting it done is that these guys came in just worried about getting the work done within their small sample size. Drew Smith getting through his part of the order. Jolie Rodriguez trying to get the lefties out. Lugo getting through the rest of the inning. Diaz was the one. Believe it or not, if anybody had the most pressure on them about the no-hitter or was the most aware of it was Diaz. And that's the beautiful thing is he didn't spit the bit. He came out. And he didn't, he didn't just not... Forget about just getting the save. He was... Filthy dominant against three really good hitters. Say what you want. I've had my criticism of Harper. But Harper, Castellanos, especially JT Real Muto, a guy that well, you know, knows how to work a count. I mean, they went bing, bang, boom. Now, maybe they went a little more aggressive because they didn't want to get to two strikes and they were trying to get a hit. I didn't see any of the Phillies quotes, nor do I care. But that's impressive. And if that's the Diaz that can focus in a big moment, albeit a, a, in the scale of 2022 moments, it'll be a fun, special moment, but it will be a, a big moment in a vacuum. That gives me some excitement as to what he could be in a big moment, in a big game, in the postseason, or leading up to the postseason when the Mets need to uh, get a big win to win a division, clinch a playoff spot, whatever. Whatever comes out of that. But by no means do I want you guys to feel bad if that's what you're going to be told today. And you'll probably hear some people, some pundits tell you that. Oh, look at him out celebrating a combined no-hitter. Have fun. You have to celebrate your accomplishments. Even if they were going to lose 100 games this year, there was no shame in celebrating that accomplishment. It's a building block, more importantly, to a team that has higher aspirations. Now, does it feel as good as Santana? It doesn't. And I'll tell you the truth. I don't think anyone after Santana will feel the same. It really won't because of the context of how long it was in Mets history. So many near misses. So much disappointment. And what's a shame is that the game itself, and I remember the Kershaw conversation, which we really didn't get involved with a couple of weeks ago. The Kershaw conversation was such where, oh, look what happened to Santana. His career went down the tubes after. Oh, really? Go to Baseball Reference and check it out. Because, by the way, and I always and I always laugh. I know, you know, Terry Collins debated, you know, what did it bring him out. Yeah, he threw 134 pitches on June 1st, 2012. And it's funny how this is all happening exactly almost 10 years to the date. 
know, in a few weeks, they're going to be celebrating that whole Santana thing. Um, nobody talks about how on May 16th, two weeks early, he threw 107 pitches and six plus innings against the Reds. Or that a month earlier, almost a month earlier against the Diamondbacks, he threw 108 pitches in seven innings. So you're going to tell me Santana's career ended over, oh, 17 to 20 more pitches. Know why Santana's career ended? He had a bad shoulder. He came back, and there was only so many miles left. Pitchers are like cars. You could keep fixing them, tuning them up, you know, whatever. At some point, they're gone, they're done. Believe me, I've had a car. I had a car I almost drove up to 200,000 miles, a Hyundai Sonata. I did everything to keep that thing going towards the end. And you know what I knew at the end? No mas, it's done. And it was off to the old, what they call happy hunting ground. That's it. That's that's probably an old saying that my mom used to use. Off to the happy hunting ground. And as far as pitchers, once they break down, they're done. If you, could, if you think those 17 pitches was going to keep Santana with another five years in his career, you obviously don't know how the body works. And I don't have a medical degree. And I challenge anyone who does to come back and ask, tell me why. Because, oh, look at what goes on there. Now, last night, did you want Tyler McGill to throw 159 pitches? Of course not. I thought about saying, hey, maybe you push him another inning. But I think it was very laborious how he went through five innings. That's why Buck's great. And that's where you, how manage, this is the difference between managing a stratomatic bullpen and managing a real bullpen. You got to know how stressful those 85, 90, 95 pitches are. And it was stressful for McGill. But my main message to everybody is big picture, Mets picture, championship picture, another event, just like the situation with the hit by pitches where this team could come together and feel good about who they are as a group. From a standpoint of us, as fans, and as those covering the team, this is why you do it, to have fun moments, to celebrate and enjoy. What are you, you going to wait till Game 7 of the World Series to feel good and celebrate and enjoy? Of course not. Baseball is one day. It's like the sands of time, little by little by little, builds up. Don't feel guilty. Just like I don't feel guilty feeling good about remembering the Bonilla walk-off in August of 92 off a double. I'm trying to think of other fun moments. I mean, look at even 2001. with the. I know 9-11 is another level. But in a vacuum, the 9-11 home run beating the Braves, they were a low 80s win team that didn't make the postseason that blew it weeks later. And I know that's another level, but it's a fun moment. There's no reason not to celebrate and feel good about it. Maybe there's some Mo Vaughn beating the Yankees on Father's Day in 2002 with a home run. That was a fun moment. Now, now no hitters hitting the historical situation, but anybody who tells you that last night didn't matter or anybody that tells you these no hitters and all these arbitrary uh, benchmarks don't matter, well, guess what? Not a lot of people have done it throughout the history of the game. So when something is rare... Go to the old supply and demand, Economics 101. A lot of people after the last two years need economics lessons in this country. Separate topic. They're learning them. They're learning them big time with their wallet. But take the same supply and demand, very simple, Economics 101. All of you took it, and if you didn't, go take one because you need it. 
Economics 101, supply and demand. If something is rare and it happens, it's special. And it's worth a lot. And that's why you shouldn't feel bad about celebrating last night. And that's why I loved how they came off the mound. And anybody who tells you anything less is either a Mets hater, uh, doesn't get it, or has been uh, has lost every amount of soul about this game because all they're doing is looking at some damn numbers on the paper. And it's a shame that Clayton Kershaw, who probably could have won another thir- 20, at least 20 pitches, maybe 30, and if you are an elite pitcher... You could get through two more innings with 20 pitches, 25 pitches. If that was Tyler McGill, I would have expected Buck to keep pushing him. Now, he wasn't at that level. He wasn't in the seventh inning. So, is it the same? No. Santana will never, ever be the same. And we are going to do something about the Santana no header, the 10-year anniversary. Uh, I actually did a show after. I know somebody who was at the ball game, and I'm going to probably get them back on. And I also talked to Jimmy Qualls, who broke up Seaver's no hitter. That day, so maybe we can put that one back out there. That's an old one from the from from the archive about me interviewing Jimmy Qualls a couple of days after that. Uh, just happened to find his number. It's funny you happened to find his number on the internet, and I call cold called him and say, "Hey Jimmy, you want to talk?" He's like, "Sure, sure." It's crazy. So that's my feeling. My feeling is another building block moment. Of the 2022 Mets. Another getting to know you moment. Another special moment. A fun night. And is it Santana's? No, it wasn't the same. But it's amazing how the most innocuous of nights. Where you wouldn't expect to even want to engage fully. And with all your attention. In a ball game. How it changes later in the game. Exactly how Santana was. For me. Wasn't into it until the 7th inning. Wasn't even sitting in front of the TV all night. Last night I was watching the whole game. And it's funny, I forgot. In the seventh inning, I forgot they had no hits. I still had forgotten. As Drew Smith came in and they brought uh, Jolie Rodriguez, I'm like, wow, I I keep forgetting they have a no-hitter. Part of it was that I had the game on mute. The other part is when I brought the game off mute, they weren't talking about it. And if you don't think this is special for the players, I mean, come on. Look, they're all there. I think what Buck called them the five tomps. They're all there, and they had the catcher, McCann, who deserves a ton of credit for the work he does with this staff. This is a special night, and this is going to go down as another one of those moments, just like the brawl in St. Louis or some of the the bonding over the hit-by-pitches. This is going to go on to another moment that we look back this season at whatever success they have, that this is another night where there's, this team grew and came together. So that's it. That's all I have on this Talking Mets short. Come to you on this Saturday morning. Enjoy the rest of the Phillies series. A lot of baseball left to play in this very interesting homestand as the Mets play their division rivals, and we really get to see where they stack up against the Phillies team that has a pretty good offense and at the very least a grind-out offense, a Braves team that has Ronald Acuna back and has historically always beating them in a big spot when they need to send a message. And then they go back to Philadelphia, that band box, a pain in the rear end to play. So uh, I'll be coming to you sometime in between the next off day, which is a week from Monday. And because uh, tomorrow is a Saturday night baseball. Uh, it might have, you know, normal circumstances with the Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday night baseball. I would have probably came to you, maybe did the whole thing. But um, 
I thought the reaction right after the no-hitter was important. I wanted to come to you. This wasn't planned. I kind of had thrown this together right after the ball game last night and said I got to come to these guys on Saturday morning. All right, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and do the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to thank the good folks over at the RisingApple.com uh, website, as well as the good folks at the fan-sided podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back on the Talking Mets podcast soon. Until then, take care, everybody.